0: Today is week 12 of our Big Faith series, week 12. I was talking with one of my boys this morning. Um, I've never done a series 12 weeks long. Anybody ever listen to a series 12 weeks long, sermon series, anybody? Well, good, at least you're being honest. (laughs) And so I was trying to remember this morning... Uh, today's 12, so we've done 11. I was trying to remember what the uh, 11, at least not even the titles or the themes, what were the 11 stories, the scriptures that we've been over? I was trying to go through them in my head, and I couldn't remember them. Uh, my son I was talking to, he got one of them as I was going back through them. Uh, honestly, when I, the way a, a sermon sometimes works is you come and you, you deliver the sermon and everything God's been downloading into you, you just kind of Bleh, on all of y'all and it just kind of leaves me completely, and i move on because uh, tomorrow I start preparing for, you know, really diving deep into what's coming next week. Uh, I heard a preacher one time saying, delivering a sermon sometimes is like delivering a baby on Sunday and immediately getting pregnant on Monday uh, because you've got to build it up and get prepared to deliver again next Sunday. Sunday's always coming. And so it leaves my head a lot of times, uh, but I would be incredibly impressed if you come up to me after the service and say, I, I know all 11 scriptures that we did, you, you get an extra star in heaven. Not really, that's not the way heaven works. But we'll just pretend that's the way it works. We're going to go through these and we're going to talk about them. I had to write them down on a little post-it note because there's no way I was going to remember this. Uh, week one, we did Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And then week two was Jesus uh, healed a boy who was possessed by a demon when his disciples couldn't do it. Week three was Noah building a boat, but I don't know if y'all remember, the word boat in the original language wasn't boat, it was box. So he told Noah to build a box, and Noah had to go and do that. Week four, we talked about the four friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. They tore the roof off and dropped the man in. Week five was Joshua marching around Jericho. Week six was Jesus asleep on a boat, and he woke up and he calmed a storm when his his disciples were having a cow. Week 7 was, was the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and Jesus healed her. Week 8 was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Week 9 was Jesus walking on water. Week 10 was disciples. the disciples had faith. They failed in their faith. They abandoned Jesus, and then Jesus still had something for them to do, even in their failure. And last week, we talked about the only two people in all of Scripture who Jesus commended for having great faith, people who had great faith. And I don't know about you, when we look at these people in Scripture who had this great faith, I often, at least in my mind, think, well, that's out of reach. You know, uh, I've never walked on water. I don't anticipate between now and my death ever walking on water. Uh, I've never been like Elijah calling fire down from heaven. Uh, if God told me to sacrifice my son, I would immediately dismiss that and say, well, that's crazy talk. Uh, depending on the day, I guess, and if you know some of these things that these guys did healing a demon possessed boy, building a, a, an ark um, uh, calming a storm, walking in a fiery furnace um, this stuff seems i don 't know I mean maybe it 's just me maybe you 've walked on water before and you just hadn 't told anybody but is that it? Is it, when you see this, these these examples of big faith what 's what we're talking about big faith? Do you think? Well, that's kind of out of reach for me. I mean, the levels of faith I have don't really reach walking on water level. Is anybody with me in that? Do you ever think that? Couple of you, Dennis and Katie Sue. I'm with you guys. All right, me we're connected. Um, but that's where sometimes I think well, I've got faith, but it's it's if that's big faith, then my faith is nowhere near that level of faith. But we're gonna look at something today that boils faith down honestly, to one word. And that faith, we see actually from the words of James, Jesus' brother, that all of these people who had these big faith moments are really like all of us now. They weren't any better than us. They failed just like we do. The only difference is when they failed, people wrote it down for all of us to read for thousands of years. Um, How would you like somebody to write down your mistakes from this morning for all of us to read this afternoon? Would that be fun? Uh, and uh, they made mistakes. They made huge mistakes, and yet God still used them, and they still had big faith moments. God wasn't done with them. As long as we're still here, God is still going to use us. And so we're going to look actually today, uh, if you've been in church very long, a very familiar story to some of us. If not, you've undoubtedly heard things related to what we're going to read because I heard a song based on this actual Scripture uh, that had to do with arthritis medicine um, uh, and had no, no reference to God. The reference to God in the song was pulled out so that they could use it in that way. But we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37 today. Ezekiel 37. Uh, if you're using a Bible on the pew rack, it's on page 724. Uh, page 724. Now, Ezekiel, I'm going to give you some backstory to what's going on here once we get to this. Ezekiel 37. He's been a prophet for God for a little while, and the job of a prophet was to, to listen to God and then go out and tell people what God said. They say, God said this, and a lot of times in Scripture with guys like e- Ezekiel, guys like Jeremiah, guys like Isaiah, a lot of times it was, hey guys, when they're speaking to the people of God, to the Israelites, you need to you know, change some things you're doing uh, or some bad stuff's going to happen. Inevitably, the Israelites would not change what they were doing and the bad stuff would happen. Um, and so Ezekiel has been called by God to be this prophet, to hear a word from God and to go and tell the people what the word from God was, because the people were not listening on their own to God. The people are not in any condition to hear from God. And so he had these prophets set out. And so a few chapters before Ezekiel 37, back in Ezekiel chapter 33, uh, Ezekiel, the prophet, is given this word from God, and God says, Ezekiel, you are to be the watchman for my people. You are to be the warning light for the people. You need to warn them of what's coming. And so God gives this great command. I mean, it's basically, it's almost a whole chapter. You need to go out and tell the people, warn them from what's coming. And then in the next chapter, Ezekiel 34, God tells Ezekiel, because the leaders of my nation are bad guys. They are violent. They are cruel. They are malicious. They intentionally do the opposite of what I want them to do. He said that they, they, they are walking away and leading people away from what my Scripture says. But then that chapter, Ezekiel five uh, four ends with hope. And God tells them, but the Messiah is coming. Who's going to bring blessings on everyone? The Messiah is coming, who is the Son of God, ultimately will be Jesus. The Messiah is coming and, and will bring restoration and redemption to the world. And then in Ezekiel 35, uh. God gives Ezekiel a word about a nearby nation uh, who is Edom, and God condemns them in a similar way to how Israel will be condemned ultimately. But the things he lists why this nation has walked away from who they know God to be, the reason that God says they are condemned, listen to these things that he lists. Because of their perpetual hatred, because of their anger, you'll know anybody in today's society who's angry all the time, (laughs) Because of their gossip, because of their slander, and because of their pride. Now, let's think about that. Gossip, slander, and pride. Gossip doesn't have to be a lie to still be gossip. Gossip is gossip if it's something negative about somebody else that you tell somebody else. That's gossip. Slander is if you tell somebody else a lie about somebody else. Let that sink in for a second. How many of us have been guilty of gossip under that definition of scriptural definition of gossip in our lifetime, in the last week, in the last 24 hours? Maybe we, maybe this isn't you. I know for me, sometimes what I end up doing is I gossip to myself in my own head about somebody else because I allow my inner dialogue to just continually run. And I'm gossiping to myself, speaking negative thoughts about somebody else because of a situation, honestly, that I don't know all the facts about. You ever do that? Anybody with me? Thank you. A couple of you. Yeah. And we think those thoughts, and and this whole nation is is just filled with people who are this way. Perpetual hatred, anger, gossip, slander, pride. And God's telling Ezekiel, they have walked away unrepentant and will not turn back to me. And so he tells him, go and tell my people, the people who are supposed to be followers of me, that they need to stop doing that stuff because look what happened to that country. The whole country did it. And they have honestly now disappeared from the face of the earth. And then in Ezekiel 37, God tells Ezekiel, after warning him, telling him he's the warner, he's the one one who's watching out for his people, God tells Ezekiel that he is going to come, God's going to come, and he's going to ultimately rescue his people. He says, My people are walking away, They're, they're, they're not following me, and they won't turn back, but I will rescue them. Ultimately, that rescue will be through Jesus, but he's telling Ezekiel, It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. There will be a rescuer, there will be something coming. And then what Ezekiel 37, the verse 10 verses of this, what this is, is an illustration of what God's been telling Ezekiel. There will be a rescue to come. This illustration of Ezekiel 37, he says, this is what the people are like right now. But that's not how I'm going to leave them. And so let's look at this. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Ezekiel's writing this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Anybody know the story now? Valley of the dry bones? The does the song go? The uh, arm bones connected to the shoulder bone? I don't know. The knee bones connected to the leg bone? I don't know. Something like that. Um, something. It's an old VBS song. Um, that's what we need, Devita. She, she could help me out here. Can, I need that. I need that help. Um, uh, that's the song I heard on that our Friday's commercial. And so he, Ezekiel's dropped there in the spirit. And that's a key to the whole passage. Ezekiel's in the spirit. God's guiding him. He's in the spirit. He's listening to the spirit. He's listening to the Lord. And God gives him this vision. And in the vision, he's in the valley of bones, and the whole valley's full of bones. Just I mean, we're talking, I mean, not just bone here, bone there. I mean, it says it's full of bones. We're like ankle deep, knee deep of bones everywhere. You ever been in a valley, I mean, a physical valley between two mountains? It's wide, it's deep, it's a whole deal. And he says the whole valley is just bones. Everywhere you step, you're crunching bones. It's just full of bones all over the place. And so Ezekiel's in this valley of bones. This is in his vision. Okay, verse 2. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So the fact that they're dry, they've been, the the, the bones, or the bodies, the people that these bones came from, in his vision, have been dead for some time. They're very dry. They've been there for a while, okay? So they've been dead for a, a while. Death is more familiar to the bones now than life ever was, because that's how long they've been there. Uh, they are more familiar with death than life. They've been dead so long that, honestly, they probably don't remember life, or they misremember life, which we do a lot of times, if we were, let mean, be honest with yourself. When we remember something that was good in the past, we, honestly, a lot of times misremember how it really was. And if it was really good, we paint it better than it ever was in our minds. And um, kind of like, I don't know if you all ever saw Napoleon Dynamite, like Uncle Rico can throw the football over the mountain, um, I see a few recognitions on a few of your faces. I could throw the football over the mountain right now. Uh, Uncle Rico. Uh, that was my Uncle Rico impression. Because uh, he thought his golden days, his high school football quarterback days, were so great that he was that strong. He could throw a football over a mountain. And sometimes we do that. We, we misremember how things used to be. So these bones have been dead for so long that there's no way that there's any semblance or any remembrance in them of the life that they knew. And so Ezekiel's painting this picture. He's there in the valley, all the bones. And then God speaks to him in the vision, verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Now, <laughs> this question from God always catches me. Can these bones live? I picture it sometimes like, I don't know if any of you remember college and sitting in class, and the professor would ask a question he didn't want to answer because you felt like it was a leading question, like it was, it was a trick question. And so you kind of put your eyes down so it wouldn't catch your eyes kind of deal. Uh, can these bones live? And that's kind of how Ezekiel answers God, you know if they can or not. This question in the Valley of Bones, out of all the things probably that Ezekiel's anticipating God saying to him, this question is extremely unexpected Can the bones live? Instantly, my thought would be, no, of course not. I mean, the bones, they can't, there's no heart, there's no skin, there's no lung, they cannot live. But that's not how Ezekiel answers. Remember, he's in the spirit. He, he's in tune with the Lord, and so he says, God, only you know if they can live or not. Possibly saying, yeah, maybe, I guess, you know, if you, God, supernaturally intervened and did something incredible that I can't even think of, then yeah, okay, maybe they can live. And so Ezekiel answers that. God, you know. And so God gives him this in response. Verse 4. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So I get some instructions. As though God were saying, okay, good. All I needed was you to say, maybe they can live, and we're going to move from here, and I'm going to give you some instructions. And so Ezekiel goes forward with this willingness, hesitation, willingness, willing to follow God even though it's crazy, and God gives him this set of instructions. Okay, you think they can live now. You, you believe I have the power to do this. Now do, just say what I'm going to tell you. Prophesy over the bones. Proph- that just, and prophesy just means just say what I tell you to say. So Ezekiel hears this, and this is what God tells him to prophesy, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, uh, the Lord God to the bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Now, think it also. He's prophesying to the bones that don't have any ears yet. Okay? So they can't hear. But he's still prophesying because he's going to be obedient. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. There's a song, if you haven't heard this song, you need to go listen to it this afternoon. Put it in in your playlist right now. Uh, I'll give you permission to pull out your phone, put it in your playlist right now. It's called The Rattle. It's by Elevation Worship. It is my jam right now. Um, It's on YouTube, actually, as well. They recorded one of their practice sessions that turned into a worship session, and that's what they put out on YouTube. Uh, But it's called The Rattle, and it's about this. God brought the bones together, and they rattled coming together. The bones came together, bone to its bone. Verse 8, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. But there was no breath he prophesied breath was going to come, but there was no breath in them yet. So everything was there in the bodies that they needed to live except life. They looked like living people. They were compiled. They were to get more so than they did the bones. Bones, they don't look like living people at all. Now they've got all the body parts that are there. They need to live a brain, a heart, a lungs, a mouth. They've got it all there, but there's no life in them. So they look like they can live, but they're not living yet. Honestly, they're no better off now than they were when they were just bones. Even though they look like they can live, they're not living. They look like it, but there's no breath there. There's no spirit. I preached on this passage, uh, I don't know, almost a year ago, eight, nine, ten months, eleven months ago. I don't know about y'all, but the last six or seven months seem a lot longer than six or seven months. I don't know about you. Uh, but it was, it was sometime in the last 12 months. Uh, and, and we examined in this the word here that's used for breath is the same word that's used for spirit. It's not the word that's commonly used for breathing, it's the word that's used for spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's called Ruach. And he uses that here to talk about breath. The spirit had not entered them, the spirit was not in them, was not flowing. Through them. And so it's because they didn't have a spirit, they didn't have life. And he uses that word on purpose because he's talking in this vision, in this illustration that he's giving Ezekiel. God is talking spiritually to him uh, in this context. And so the breath isn't there. They look like living people, but they are not because there's no spirit. And so God gives Ezekiel further instruction. Verse 9. He said to him, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath. That doesn't mean, you know, north, south, east, west. That's a phrase meaning come from everywhere, come from all over the place. So he says, come from the four winds, uh, O breath, and breathe on these slain, and that they may live. I want to point out the fact that God references the fact that these were slain these bones, these bodies that are now compiled and put back together, something defeated them and killed them to get them to the point they were at. Something beat them down to get them to where they're at. Something produced the valley of dry bones. It wasn't just that they died of natural causes and they all just happened to lay down in the same spot. Something defeated them as a group, and they've been slain, and they are there in the valley. God doesn't use words on accident. So he says, Breathe on these slain, talking to the breath, talking to the spirit, that they may live. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So let's let's walk through the process here. God takes him to a valley of bones. says, Can these bones live? He says, God, you know. Okay, good. You think they can live? Possibly, if I do something supernatural? Then give them my word. Prophesy to them. Give them my word. So he does. He gives them the word of God, and they come together, but they don't live. There's no life in them with just the word. They need the breath. They need the spirit. They need belief, honestly. They need faith. And Ezekiel prophesies to the breath, to the spirit. The spirit comes, and it says, they lived. Then they stood up and they were an exceedingly great army. Only when they had received the Word and received the Spirit were they considered an exceedingly great army. They had to have both. Both are essential to this army thought process here. They were an exceedingly great army because they had both. Both are needed. God brings life to a broken people through His Word and His Spirit. God brings life through His Word and His Spirit. Now, no matter how broken you may feel you are, God can bring life to your life through His Word and His Spirit. We can take God's Word and we can just read it to check a box in our mind, but if we don't take it and apply it to our lives, it's not doing jack squat to us. We're just checking a mental box and saying, I feel good, I read, you know, Matthew chapter 7 today. I feel awesome. I did it. But if we're not taking that, what Jesus said in Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount, and apply it to our lives, it's not doing anything. Then we're just like the dead bodies laying on the ground. We look like we're alive, but we're not. we got to take it. we got to apply it. we got to use it. we got to make it a part of who we are so that the Spirit uses it in us and it produces life in us. And so that's what happens. The Word and the Spirit. Ezekiel speaks God's Word, the the bones hear the Word, the bones come together in a way they could not have without God's Word, and then the Spirit comes and fills them, and they stand, and they're an exceedingly great army, exceedingly great army, because of the Word and the Spirit. Ezekiel heard the Word, and how did the whole chapter start? Ezekiel was in the Spirit. So Ezekiel himself had both, the Word and the Spirit. And he had life because of it. He was in the Spirit. He heard the Word. And so what ended up happening? Because he heard the Word and he was in the Spirit, he obeyed. And because he obeyed the Word, he applied it to his life and he used it. He did what God said to do. He obeyed. He ended up participating in something incredible. Participating in something that is beyond our own imagination. Imagine if you not off to sleep in the middle of the sermon. I know that's not a far stretch for some of us. Especially depending on how long the preacher goes But imagine in that God gives you a vision And you're dropped in the middle of a valley of dry bones Dead bodies And God says can the bones live And he speaks this to you Where would you be if this is you Where would you be if this was you And God gives you a word And gives you the spirit Would you be alive Would you be standing up Would you receive his word Would you receive his spirit Ezekiel does and he obeys And he obeys and he experiences this. In big faith, he experiences God do something incredible. Just like every one of those 11 that I mentioned earlier, those 11 instances, those 11 occurrences, God did something incredible through the big faith of those involved because of one particular thing. We might say with Ezekiel here, it would take some really big faith to turn a valley of bones into great faith, and you would be right. It does. It takes huge faith, phenomenal faith. But in what Ezekiel did, in the way this, honestly, these 10 verses are, are outlined, Ezekiel tells us what big faith really is, what it really boils down to, and it boils down to one word. Big faith is simply obedience. Big faith is simply obedience. That's 12 weeks of big faith in one phrase. Big faith is obedience. Every single time that we looked at every one of these scriptures over the last 11, now 12 weeks, it was obedience. Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac, obedience. The disciples in their faith wavering because of their disobedience. Jesus stepping up in their place in the gap and bringing obedience because he was willing to follow the plan of the Father. Big faith is simply obedience, which which is listening to the voice of the Lord and following his direction. Listening to the voice of the Lord and following his direction. Big faith is obedience. Why was Peter able to walk on water? Because he obeyed the word of Jesus that said, come. Big faith is obedience, listening to the voice of the Lord and following his direction. This makes me think of another passage of Scripture we're going to look at. In Jeremiah chapter 1. Emily, do I have this one on there? Jeremiah? Okay, good. Jeremiah chapter 1. I couldn't remember if I did or not. Jeremiah was a prophet. This is a couple books before Ezekiel. It goes e- Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Um, so you can flip back there if you want, but it will be on the screen. Or if you're watching online, it will be right below me. Jeremiah chapter 1. Je- We're going to look at when God called Jeremiah to be a prophet. Jeremiah was was very young. We don't really know how young he was. Um, some people think he was really young, uh, low teens, mid-teens, upper teens. He could have been anywhere in there. Um, but he was he was young, and God comes to him and says, I've got a big job for you. I've, I need you to step out in big faith. And if you ever read Jeremiah, which I encourage you to do, um, it's kind of discouraging sometimes because he would go out and do something big for God, step out in big faith for God, and then nobody would listen to him. People would make fun of him. Another prophet would come up and say, Jeremiah is nuts. We just keep living and doing and drinking and doing whatever we want. Everything's going to be great. And everybody would listen to that guy because his message was that. Jeremiah was saying, no, repent. Stop doing the bad stuff. Start doing the good stuff. And God's going to save us. Um, And nobody would listen to Jeremiah. So that's what his whole book is. He would hear from God. He would tell the people. The people would make fun of him. People would throw stuff at him. And nobody would listen to him. Um, but this is what we're going to look at in Jeremiah 1, is he's going to hear from God, and then he's going to say, but wait a minute, God, nobody's going to listen to me. And God's going to give him something very important that's going to resonate with us right now, and what we're seeing, that big faith is obedience. So Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I mean, set you apart for a special job. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, remember Jeremiah's never heard the word of the Lord before. This is the first time he's hearing it. First time. And God says, I've got something for you that's incredible. I put this label on you before you were even born. I had something special exactly for you. Verse 6, Jeremiah's response. And I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you will go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth. let stopped stop there. And then the Lord put his words in his mouth. But look at that. Jeremiah says, I don't know what to speak. I don't know what to say, and I'm too young, and nobody's going to listen to me. And God said, don't even worry about any of that. All you got to do is say what I tell you to say. Go where I tell you to go and say what I tell you to say. It's not complicated, Jeremiah. You just, I say, go, you know, 15 miles that way and just start speaking the things that I am going to tell you to speak. That's it. You don't have to have some big plan. You don't have to have some big thing lined out for the next three years, next five years, next six months, next two weeks. You just go right now where I tell you to go and say exactly what I tell you to say. It's that simple. It's not complicated. Big faith is obedience, big faith, is obedience, listening to the voice of the Lord and following his direction. And that's what Ezekiel did. God said, prophesy to the bones, even though the bones can't hear. That would be like if you're in this room by yourself, and God said, I want you to tell that green pew right there about Jesus. All right, that's kind of weird. It's, that's not how pews work, God. And Jeremiah or Ezekiel was willing to tell the bones that had no ears or brain to process what he's saying, to tell them God's Word. He obeyed. Jeremiah hears the Word of the Lord, goes decades with nobody listening to him, and what does he do the whole time? He obeys. Big faith in both moments is simply defined as obedience. Obedience. And, And when we obey God, we may think, but I haven't heard anything new from God in a while. I keep trying to listen. I keep trying to hear, but I haven't heard anything new. And if you haven't heard a new direction, then keep doing the last thing he told you to do until he tells you something new. If you haven't heard anything new, keep doing the last thing he told you to do until he tells you something new. Because what ends up happening, and again, maybe this isn't you, this is what I end up doing. I have a phrase for this, and it goes back to Abraham. Abraham got tired of waiting on God. And he ended up messing around with Hagar and and caused generational strife between nations for millennia. Talk about your problems resonating forever. Uh, The phrase that I end up using is, when we don't wait on God and we're trying to produce something that God doesn't want us to produce, we end up chasing Hagar, going after the very thing God does not want us to go after. We keep going after this thing and going after this thing. And I think, God, is me doing this deal over here, is this your voice or is this me? Am I chasing Hagar making this decision? Am I not hearing you speak because I don't want to wait anymore, any longer? And so when we, okay, I'll, I'll say we, when I, <laughs> I don't want to project on you guys, when I get impatient with God sometimes, I start seeing signs everywhere that are telling me to do something else. I start seeing signs that aren't really what God is telling me to do. I'm just looking for something to confirm my own messed up plan instead of taking time to listen to the voice of the Lord. And so I start seeing all this stuff all over the place. Well, obviously, you know, that was on that billboard, or or this person used that one word today, and then another person used the exact same word the next day, so that must mean God wants me to do this. And I start stringing together all of these, what I perceive to be coincidences, and I end up chasing Hagar because it's not what God wanted me to do. It's what I want to do. And so I go searching for what I want to do. And the thing about it is, when we search for what we want, we're going to find it every time. We're going to force it every time. We're going to end up chasing Hagar. And ultimately, instead of waiting just a few years, Abraham, you know, uh, what was it, year 11, something like that, ended up with Hagar, and he ended up having to wait 14 more years until God fulfilled what God wanted to fulfill through him. And if he hadn't chased Hagar, it may not have taken the full 25 years. But because he did, there was a cost that came with it. Because he acted before God wanted him to act. He didn't have the patience to wait. And he, and he, 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 he messed up 11 years down the road. How many of us mess up you know, 11 days down the road because we don't want to wait. I don't have the patience to wait 11 years. I don't know about you guys. If God's, what God, the last thing God said to do, keep doing until he gives new direction. The thing is, we have to be so in the spirit, like Ezekiel was, we have to be so in tune with what his voice sounds like that when he speaks, we know it. And when we speak in our own mind, we know, oh, that's not God. That is way not God. That is is as far away from God as it gets. And there's only one way to do it, and it's going to sound Sunday school to you guys, but it's the truth. It's the reason it's been said in Sunday school for generations and generations and generations, because it's true. It's true. If you're not sure what his voice sounds like, then read more scripture and pray more with this. One caveat, when you pray, have this emphasis on listening before you ever say anything to God. And I'm going to tell you up front, listening to God in prayer is one of the most difficult things you're ever going to do. I remember we had a challenge. We had a Wednesday night Bible study. It was like a year and a half ago. And one of the people in there came up and told me, because that was a challenge one week, was just in your prayer life for the next seven days, just spend 60 seconds listening to God. And this lady came up to me uh, the next week, and she said, Josh, I, no, it, she didn't even, it wasn't even a week. It was like three or four days. She sent me a text, and she said, I have never been more distracted and had the hardest time focusing on anything for 60 seconds than just trying to listen for the voice of God. She said, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. But at the end of the seven days, she told me the next week that it was the most fruitful thing for her prayer life she's done in a long time, listening to the voice of the Lord, listening to God. I promise you, if you try it tomorrow and you just try to listen for ten seconds, if you've never done it, you won't be able to do it. I guarantee you, because I've tried. It is when you start cold turkey; it is so hard. And don't beat yourself up if you try it and 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 it doesn't work. Don't beat yourself up. It happens. You can do it for years and then all of a sudden it just your your brain won't work like it's worked and you get frustrated and you can't focus on God's voice and all you hear are conversations you had earlier in the week and what you should have said in those conversations. The next time you have those conversations, this is what you're going to say and you're going to hear your kid cry out in that moment or you're going to hear uh, your spouse get up or you're going to hear the dog make noise or you're going to hear your neighbor start his mower at 6.30 in the morning. You're going to hear all these things. And, and you're going to be distracted and not hear the voice of God because, because the enemy doesn't want you to hear God. And so he's going to crawl into your headspace and begin to whisper things to keep you from hearing the voice of God, to, keep, to prevent you from from hearing what God is speaking. God's always speaking. We're not always listening. We're not always in a place spiritually, emotionally or sometimes physically where we can get and we can just focus. I mean, even if we're trying to listen to God and what you what I had to do when I first started this practice was I almost had to have a mantra from Psalms, "Be still and know that I am God." And I would just say that over when I first started this practice. "Be still and know that I am God." God, I'm trying to be still, but it's not working. God, be still, God, I'm trying so hard, and 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 then all of a sudden, you know, I say, "God, I'm trying so hard." Like that one time, I tried to do the other thing, you know, when I was, you know, back when I I tried to do that thing when I was exercising. And that one time I exercised, the kids came in, and when the kids came in, he was wearing his sister's pants, and then I had to go and I had to change his pants, and then I had to go and tell my wife, and she's wondering why he's wearing his sister's pants. And then we were going to have lunch, and we had hamburgers that day because we had leftover and we were supposed to have quesadillas and the quesadillas, we were out of chicken we were out of chicken because Walmart was out of chicken and we had, they had, I bought thighs instead of breasts and thighs ended up tasting really good. I should have grilled that day and all of a sudden, I'm way down the road from where I started and that's the way my brain works, maybe not yours because listening to God is something the enemy does not want us to do. And so if you haven't heard the voice of the Lord, then don't start in a new direction until he speaks. Don't instantly just jump the gun and start something when he didn't say Go. When he didn't say go, then you're going to be out there all on your own. And when God says move, you move. But when he doesn't say move, then not sit still until he says move. God told Moses one time, because he got, you know, the people of Israel were doing their thing. And God said, I'm going to send you away, the people of Israel, because I'm tired of this. They won't listen to me. I'm going to send you away, and I'm going to stay here, and I'm not going to go with you. And Moses said, if you don't go with us, don't send us up from this mountain. We are not going to leave until you you tell us to go. We're not going. Until you are with us, we're not going. And so when we step out and we move, when God doesn't want us to move, that causes all kinds of spiritual problems and ramifications far down the road that we can never anticipate. And so we need to sit where we are until God says go. Even if you fidget. I'm a fidgeter. Even if you fidget. You start drumming your fingers, and, and you're just trying to occupy yourself, and you can't sit still, and you're just going, and you're just, God, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, try- I'm, I'm not going yet, God, I, but, but God, He looks so good. They got Bluebell over there, God. Why can't we just go that way? And God says, I don't want you there yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. And so until God gives us a new direction, we got to stay where we are, stay where we are, and if we have trouble hearing his voice or distinguishing his voice from the own voice, from the voices that are rolling around in our head. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, how can I recognize God's voice? It's Spending more time with him. It's familiarity. How do you recognize your spouse's voice? How do you recognize your kid's voice? How do you recognize your friend's voice? Because you've spent time with them and you can recognize the, 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 the timbre of the way they speak. The tones that come out of them. You recognize them because you've spent time with them. Jesus said that his sheep recognize his voice as their shepherd because they've spent time with him and they recognize what he's saying because they know the sound of his voice. And we do that by spending time with him, by reading scripture, by praying, by listening to him. Many of us have been Christians for a long time and honestly, we've never sat still and listened to his voice, to what he's saying. Some of us just go with our gut reaction and we say, that's the Holy Spirit. My gut's wrong a lot. I got a bad gut, (laughs) if we're being honest, physically and spiritually. We got to listen for the voice of Jesus. Listen. So then, so then we can do what we've been talking about for 12 weeks big faith, because big faith is obedience. We can't obey if we don't know. We don't know if we don't hear. If we don't hear because our ears, our spiritual ears, are so clogged with so much other stuff and we don't recognize His voice, then we can never have a moment of obedience. We can never have a moment of big faith because we're not hearing Him. If we want to have big faith moments in our family, in our job, in our own personal spiritual lives, in the life of our church, it takes obedience and hearing His voice, the voice of the Lord. And that comes from Scripture. That comes from prayer. I, you've heard me mention before the man, um, George Mueller, a man of big faith. Over 20,000 prayers of his were answered. He would write in his prayer journal the day he prayed. And the date it was answered, with a yes or a no. And how did he have 20,000 prayers answered? I don't know if I can pray 20,000 prayers in my lifetime. How is that possible? There's one reason why I think it's possible, because he knew the voice of the Lord. Because he read, and he got saved, not when he was a little child. He got saved when he was like in his 20s. Because he read scripture, his prayer, I believe he had so many prayers answered, because he read scripture front to back over 300 times. That's a lot. I mean, I I got to think, I got (laughs) discouraged when I first read his biography, and I was reading that, I was like, man, you know, I... I, I read the Bible through in a year. And even if I did that from the moment I got saved until the even if I lived to 90, I got, or I got saved when I was seven. So if I lived to 97, which there's no way in the world I'm going to live to 97. But if I lived and I was a Christian for 90 years and I read scripture, if I started at age seven, which I did not, not even close. If I started at age seven, all the way to 97, I would have only read scripture 90 times through. How in the world does this guy make it 300 times through? Because Scripture was more a part of his life, I this is a conviction I've had lately, it was more a part of his life than 10 minutes in the morning. I'm going to share more about this practice later on, but something I've discovered is every time a negative thought or a complaint or those those in my own personal mind, I'm going to share all you something that's in my journal. In my own mind, when, when my inner dialogue runs away with itself, um, what I've been doing lately is just grabbing Scripture and reading a chapter real quick. And it realigns, recalibrates my negative leaning. Uh, And I've discovered I've had more peace because of that. And so what I think that he did, he doesn't say this, um, his biography doesn't say it either, but I think scripture was more a part of his life than the 10 minutes in the morning most of us, me included, give to him. And so because scripture was so a part of his life, 300 times he read it through in his life. He had over 20,000 prayers answered. Because he knew the voice of God. He knew the voice of God because he he was so familiar with Scripture. I mean, this is God's Word. It's called God's Word for a reason. These are His words put on page for us to see. You say, I don't know how to hear God's voice. Well, here, He gave you, you know, a thousand something pages of Him speaking for you to hear Him. There it is. There it is. All Scripture is God-breathed. Paul wrote that. And it's useful. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. All of it is useful if we would take it and use it. And then once we take it and use it, not just ingest it, not just let it flow in one ear and out the other in our eyeballs and just seep out of our brains because we don't, we don't apply it to our lives, but take it and apply it to our lives and obey it, then we begin to experience big faith moment, but it begins with hearing him. Hearing him. Big faith is obedience. Big faith is obedience. Obedience. Hearing the voice of God, hearing the word of the Lord, and obeying his instruction. Maybe today you need to take that first step of big faith by obeying, by believing. In his word, Jesus said it to believe him, to believe him, believe that Jesus, God's son, came to the earth, that he died in my place, in your place. He died so that all of our sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so that we can live after we die. We can live after we die. I know that sounds oxymoronic, but it is spiritually true. You live after you die. And we can live after we die if we believe in Jesus' death and his resurrection. And you can have that security today. You can have it set down in stone today that you can be with Jesus for all time. If you obey that word, that I believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, then salvation is yours. Redemption is yours. Peace is yours. Power is yours. God's Holy Spirit is in you from that moment forward if you believe. Take that first big faith moment, that first big step of obedience and believe. Believe. So if you need to believe today, this is the moment. This is the time. You can come and talk to me here after the service. Talk to me as they sing this next song. Or you can just go on our website. If you're online, if you're watching online right now, you can just click below me. It says, I made a decision. Take you right to our website. You say, I made a decision. I want to follow Jesus. And I'll get that email instantly on my phone. You just click that and it comes. And we will contact you this week within the next day or so, and celebrate with you and be so excited about what God's doing in you now. Believe in Jesus today. Take that first step of big faith.